you know, we always encounter the the change curve, right? Mm -hmm. the, uh, the the main point of resistance, like new tech, I'm tired, what's happening? But then that curve starts to lessen once the once that end user starts to see, okay, this is benefiting me because I don't have to do double entry, or it's benefiting me because I'm no longer typing this information, I can now select this from you know, a generic sort of drop-down list. That's, that's great. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Lillian Magalanis. She is a project manager for a large general contractor where she leverages 13 years of construction management and facilities experience to help support technology alignment. In addition to her daytime role, Lillian currently serves as the member committee chair for the Construction Progress Coalition, a nonprofit organization dedicated to defining the future of project data governance through common data exchange. And she's a board member of the NAWIC Los Angeles, celebrating women in the AEC industry. Welcome to the show, Lil. Thank you, Todd. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Excited to have you here. Uh, so let's start with how you got into the construction industry to begin with. You know, to be honest, I think it was by mere accident that I decided to join the AC industry. I think um, I'm definitely, uh, I migrated to the States when I was fairly young. So my mother's sort of biggest dream for me is to be a secretary in a, in a business office one day. And I always felt like, okay, that I, I need to work in the business world. Fine. And um, finally, when I graduated high school, I went to community college and I took accounting classes because I think secretaries need to know accounting and I hated it. <laughs> I walked in day one and I felt like every looked around and I was like, why is everyone working off of a ledger or workbook? I'm not, this is day one, what is happening? And I walked out of the class, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. And I think I spent, you know, some time just trying to figure out like, what do I want to do? Like, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do with career? And um, I decided to, you know, it was actually through a home project, a DIY project, and updating, you know, my kitchen cabinets from a very boring vanilla, you know, color 70s sort of cabinet looking. And I selected this, you know, grass green color that I just loved. And I just fell in love. And I just you know, I enjoy the process like planning and just designing and just doing it. And that's when it hit me. I'm like, oh, maybe I should, you know, go into interior design. And my grandfather is a carpenter by trade. So construction huh. has always been part of my life. But I do remember the, the very moment I decided, okay, I'm going to change my major into design. Let's, let's see where, where this goes. And when I graduated in 07, it was pretty much the beginning of a recession that we're all familiar with. Right. So, <laughs> it's a fun time a, to graduate. I'm familiar. <laughs> fun time. And so at the time I was working in facilities for a coffee company called Farmer Brothers Coffee. You see it everywhere as very small diners. So I, you know, continue working there. I was doing facilities and you know, it, was, it was a good, great job. It was really fun. Um, but I still felt like, gosh, I went to school. I should just do what I went to school for. And Luckily, I got hired by an architect in Pasadena, California, who gave me a chance, and I got hired as a project assistant, and I did everything and anything I could, from organizing the materials library to helping the project architects and architects, you know, on, and, you know, submittals and R5s, and, you know, even with 
some of the um, schematic planning and I did everything I could. Every, every project we tossed me, I was like, yep. I was just so hungry to, to, to learn from everyone. And, you know, of course, the recession got a bit worse. And I felt very blessed that I was able to jump on from the architect on a bond project with public funding. And then there is sort of where I pivot. Um, I thought that, you know, I started doing some FFE and procurement, you know, uh, tasks. And then I got introduced to the BIM team and sort of my life changed into construction technology. I just discovered a whole new world uh, besides materials and designs. And that's when I realized, wow, this is amazing. Just the fact that we can look at a 3D model and we're trying to get everyone, the stakeholders early in to make decisions. By all means, it wasn't perfect. I think the district was really, had a strong initiative to you know, put that path forward. And that's where I sort of just, you know, started to scratch the surface with construction tech. So that's how I ended up here. Yeah, that's Then awesome. I got to work for a software company for a number of years. And now I'm back working with a general contractor as my daytime job. But I really, really enjoy, you know, being part of Maywick. And this year I'm a part of the board. And um, I think there's nothing more fulfilling for me than being able to give back to this industry sort of what has given me the opportunity and, and help other women feel empowered and knowledgeable and feel um, that, you know, we have a sisterhood to just, you know, to grow together. Yeah, that's very mm -hmm. cool. One of the things that I think really just exudes off of you is your passion for the construction industry. And uh, I think that's, that's awesome. I, I love hearing that. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's, it's natural. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so you're on the board with CPC, Construction Progress Coalition. Uh, yes. Why do you feel it's it's so crucial for the industry to focus in on data exchange? You know, um, I think I, being part of the CPC, it was something that, you know, back in the day when I was working for a software company, I worked very closely with, with Sasha Reed. Um, you know, I feel like everyone in the industry is familiar with her. And she was actually the one that kept talking to me about sort of this pain point, you know, something that Nathan has always mentioned for, you know, quite a number of years. If you know Nathan would, you know, at some point in his sentence, he's going to talk about shared pains. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, I've having lived in sort of this silo world, you know, working for a bond project, we were always looking at, you know, data within the model. And we were sort of in this little bubble of just, you know, looking at standards, trying to stand up the BIM standards and the CAN standards and looking at models and what we're getting in there. Um, but then when Sasha introduced me to CPC, it sort of expanded sort of that bubble that I had where you know the conversation went from like looking at data in the model to how are we moving that data from different applications? And I, in my mind, I didn't think there was a barrier, but once I started to get engaged with the CPC group and having you know, deeper conversations with Sasha, that's, that's when I started to learn, wow, we, we can't move information very fluid from, let's say from you know, a Revit file over to, let's say we wanna use a Bentley system, that's a different file format. You know, my, in my life, that sort of never crossed. I've always, I was always staying within one ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we, I think we need options. We need to be able to have that same file format not necessarily, sorry, not the same file format, but being able to have sort of open data where you're able to, you know, look at that data and carry that data from the beginning of the project and then move that, moving that over to the end of the project. And even 
furthermore of how that project information is going to be saved for the uh, you know, retrieval of data later on. So that's kind of how I started to really get more informed and just really started to look at, you know, how the importance of having open data. And I think that's a, a lack of a word on my end, but just having data that's readable in, in, other, in other platforms. And we're also just moving more into like a workflow solution um, mm -hmm. in general in this industry. And, you know, we were, I feel like we're kind of, you know, we back in the early, let me say 20, uh, 2013, 2010, somewhere around that time, 2010 to 2016, there was sort of like a big eruption of like apps, right? So like Plan Grid is, can mention one is one that really made a huge impact in the industry. I remember when I first came across Plan Grid, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I can be in my iPad or my phone and walk around the job site and, you know, tag what I need to tag on issues to be done. And then you started to see sort of this, you know, um, eruption of other apps coming on board. And then now we're sort of kind of coming into like, all right, let's connect everything together. And so you have a lot of apps that are, you know, or I say apps and, um, cause I think of Raken and, you know, Filmwire, um, you know, how can we connect them all together to this bigger workflow and how can we get this data talking to each other? Mm -hmm. I'll pause there because I feel like I'm ranting now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's good stuff. Create a common data environment for your team with 360 Sync. 360 Sync automatically transfers, organizes, and archives project files across applications. It is the only way to automatically sync project files between your server, Procore, BIM 360, Bluebeam, or any other platform you use. 360 Sync is the only document management system designed by and for the AEC industry. Users have automatically transferred over 1 million files and over 2 million syncs. Set it and forget it. Create a common data environment for your team today using 360 Sync. Visit asti.com slash 360 Sync for more information. Uh, I think that's been one of the eye-opening experiences for me on having these conversations on the, the podcast is with construction, there's so much data that's being generated through the, the projects, but none of that data is really being leveraged to the its fullest potential. And because there's all these different data silos that exist and you have to input information into so many different systems, um, which makes me think, you know, that the buzzword now of common data environment, you know, you hear that mm -hmm. all the time. Everybody's trying to claim that they, they have the single source of truth. They're the common data environment. Uh -huh. Why does it really matter? Like, why is that something that people should be striving for? And what does it maybe look like in practice? Well, it matters. Let's look at it from the field side. It matters because we're, you know, we don't want to ask from the field team to input duplicate data. You know, we know that as a tool in technology, and this is me coming, you know, working, you know, from software for a number of years, is, you know, I feel like the field really isn't think about first. They're always sort of an afterthought and we're thinking about the office team mm -hmm. or the design team. Um, but I think the more easier we can make accessing information, entering data, or even looking at data much more simpler in the field, I feel like that could be, you know, sort of a good, um, you know, path forward. 
Um, but the problem is that when you're when we're asking the field to say, hey, you know, we, you know, we want to make sure we're gathering all the right data, we want it to talk to each other, we need you to input this data, you know, in this particular, you know, system. Uh, oh, by the way, we also need you to also upload it in this other system down the road when you get to maybe a certain percentage. So we're asking them to duplicate those efforts and kind of put data in different buckets, right? Mm. So we, I think ideally it would be great to just, you know, ask for that one and then that gets to get moved down the road and gets moved into other buckets if needed. Um, but I think when we're putting that stress on the field to duplicate, have multiple duplications, then we start to see the pushback like, well, why? I already did it. And, and sometimes they may choose not to do it. So that's sort of a challenge, but ideally we'd like to just get it done once, have it be sort of this data where it's common and then it's easy to, to push forward. I think that there's two interesting things there. I totally agree with having them do it just once. They don't have the time to sit there and, and input it a hundred different times and nor are, are they frankly going to yeah, <laughs> each progressive time and they're going to put in less and less. I also think that there's a, a problem with communication and that nobody tells the field why they're putting it in there. Like what's, how's it going to benefit the field later on for them putting in their information right now? It just frankly kind of seems like a lot of busy work for the field. Yeah. You bring a lot of, that's a really good point. Cause I think, you know, having worked in software for a bit, we're always trying to sell it to that decision maker. This is a great tool because it's going to solve problem one, two, three. Um, but are we really having that sort of, are we selling it to the field? Are we you know, also showing that value to them? But I think this is where, you know, in the communication part, you wanna make sure when you're implementing technology in general, you know, we always encounter the, the change curve, right? Mm -hmm. we, uh, the, the main point of resistance, like new tech, I'm tired, what's happening? But then that curve starts to lessen once we, once that end user starts to see, okay, this is benefiting me because I don't have to do double entry or it's benefiting me because I'm no longer typing this information. I can now select this from, you know, a generic sort of dropdown list. That's, that's great. And so that you start to see that adoption increase. So when you're implementing tech, I think it's always, I always think of four things at a very high level. First, you want to make sure that there's a vision from the leadership, like this is where we're going as far as construction technology, this is sort of the direction and stick to it. Don't change mm -hmm. it three months down the road or six months down the road because another shiny thing, shiny object came your way, yeah. uh, but having sort of that focus. And then second is really just having a pilot team. I feel that when I did consulting for a software company, pilot was something that I realized slowly that it became such a crucial part in having a successful implementation. I could have come in there and talked to a number of people and said, okay, what are the pain points? What are we trying to solve? Okay, great. Here is that solution within um, within this application that's gonna get you, gonna get you where you want to be. What I've learned from a pilot team is it gives you that direct ability to hear from different people, from different levels of leadership, from folks who are in the field, folks who are in the office, uh, because they're the ones who are gonna click and upload and enter data. And oftentimes they had much more insights than that decision team. So that really gave me that sort of grace period in implementing tech to do a course correction, 
okay, well, that's not going to work. Let's go ahead and, and switch things up. And, and, and that gives me a much more higher success rate of like, okay, once this gets scaled with the, to the rest of the company and the rest of the project, you know, there's a reason why this is done this way because your colleague, your, you know, coworker on your field, you know, really resonated with this pain and this is sort of the inspiration. So you start to lessen that curve of, of that adoption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, it makes me, brings up a, a thought to me that it's, it's really kind of uh, the responsibility of the, the software company to make sure that they're selling to the office as well as to the field and really bring in that, that benefit value to both and not forgetting the field, you know, as we've already talked about, but um, I also think then it's incumbent on the company to not expect that the software is going to be the cure all silver bullet. That's going to, you know, fix every single problem that they've ever had because no software (laughs) is really (laughs) going to fix every single problem. You know, it could be the best technology in the world, but it's just realistically, it's not going to fix every single problem. Yeah, I recently uh, read a quote about how we think technology is that silver bullet that you just said of that's going to fix everything. But sometimes technology, you know, if not done correctly, can harm us even further and set us sure. back. Um, I think, like you mentioned, the software companies, you know, they're responsible to making sure the success of that implementation is done right. Um, the other thing I wanted to add to the pilot that I wanted to mention is having that feedback loop. Like this is a great opportunity where that software company can say, hey, I want to, you know, check, you know, with you, with your team in 30 days or 60 or 90, whatever that milestone time you want that to look like and create that feedback loop to say, okay, well, the onboarding was 70% on target. Fantastic. Um, You know, the uploading of data performance on our end was always 98%, you know, at a good speed rate. I think those are things that, you know, you can have conversations to go back to the leadership company and the company to of that company and say, hey, these are the milestones we we set at the beginning to as a goal. And this is where, you know, some of the milestones we hit or we miss. Um, But what's the beauty about that is maybe it may not be perfect, but what I see as a beauty is that relationship and trust that you're building with the clients is so crucial, especially, you know, with construction tech, you know, we're not, it's not a vendor client relationship. It's a partnership, you know, mm-hmm. that both parties are kind of going, moving forward to really in, as a whole move this industry forward. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with that. Uh, so I want to circle back to the app invasion uh, that you yeah. were talking about earlier. Uh, how I like does, that, app invasion. <laughs> uh, how does taking a, a technology workflow approach, how is that different than the app-centric approach um, that we are maybe coming out of? I mean, so back in like, so when I worked for a bond project, um, I remember 
I, I, I stumbled, I didn't really stumble. I was told to look into, you know, uh, learning about bleeding review. My bin manager came in from a, a conference and he gave me a CD back when vendors were giving CDs. <laughs> this was like circa 20, 2011, I believe. Uh, he came back from an IA conference and he put the CD on my desk and said, hey, this, this sounded really interested in the conference, you know, can, can I have you do a deep dive on this and maybe see if we can implement it in our project. And initially the person was like, oh, I opened it and I was like, oh, this is too many buttons, too colorful. I don't understand what, what's happening. Um, but a couple of weeks later, I was looking at some documents and there was a mistake and I didn't want to go back and go to the person like, can you correct this number? It's not accurate. And it was in the PDF and I happened to Google, like how can I edit a PDF or how can I just, you know, do something where it's, it's easy. And uh, so I learned that review had this edit capability in there. And I was like, oh, this yeah. is amazing. And that's sort of a kind of kickstart, you know, um, my journey into implementing, you know, studio into sort of our milestone uh, design reviews. Because uh -huh. at the time we were having consultants, we were printing out eight, eight, eight sets contractually and put them in what we call the war room. And we would have the consultants who would open up for sort of a, a window of time, about a week. And we would have them drive to the office in downtown LA, mark up eight different times and someone had to collect that data. So I saw that as an opportunity. I was like, oh, maybe we can, you know, use studio um, with this process. Yeah. So in that, in, in, in sort of, you know, learning and discovering and trying to implement that within the project, all these apps started to come up, like FlatGrid was one of them. Um, I think one, not one note, uh, what's the other one? That's a note taker. Um, I'll come to me in a second. Um, and so I started seeing all of these great apps and Bentley, you know, uh, they were talking about then um, the use of hypermodels and how we can get an iPad and put load up the model and, um, and go to the field and kind of point the iPad at certain certain locations where you can kind of start to look what's behind the wall. And, you know, so we as a team, we were just excited about, wow, how can we, how can we connect this together? And that's when we learned like, well, we can only use the studio within this bucket. And the great thing is, we, okay, we can save that PDF file in, in our DMS system. Okay, that's going to work. But what about what's on the iPad? How can we have it connect you know, back to sort of the entire process. And then as time went on and I moved away from the project, I started to see more of those, those apps, you know, coming on board that were specific for one solution, like daily reporting or safety yeah. or even issue checking. Um, and I think for a while back in 2016, we talked a lot about how do we connect this to game together? And that's where the conversation started coming about the common data exchange, you know, how do we, how do we make this data open? How do we make it connect? And I think that's been sort of, you know, a, a thorn in the industry side at the moment. And then, and then suddenly we start to look at, you know, how web applications have really started to change that for us within the industry. Mm -hmm. um, we know that Autodesk um, Construct Cloud is really sort of leading the charge at, at the moment with connecting that solution all together with having a fundamental 
um, component with, um, with, with docs, what they call docs, and then having all these different modules that you can kind of add. So it's almost like you're building that connection yourself. And, and again, that's my, my interpretation of that. Um, how you can kind of build those building blocks of how how you're working in your company or your project yeah. um, to kind of help it you know connect at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it's it's a different mentality though to think through the connecting data across workflows. How do you think that people should kind of reorient their their thinking to be more holistic with data across workflows? Uh, I'm going to quote my big manager on this one. Begin with the end in mind. What do we want those um, final archive files to look like? What would yeah. be the acceptable document um, from the owner side that's, that we say, okay, this is how we want these documents to sort of have a long, a long life. And, and this is what we're accepting from, from, our, from our project team members. And, you know, we're, you know, final payment is, you know, pushed out. And I think beginning with the end of mind, like, what do we want that to look like? Do we want to have fragmented information? Do we want, you know, are we going to depend on all of these apps to still be alive X number of years out? How do we want to extract that data moving forward? So I, I would say begin with the end in mind. And I think the end in mind is different for, for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I think for, for us, um, you know, when I was at working with a bond project, so the end for, for us was really having everything in this massive um, DMS system called ProjectWise. And this was, you know, circa 20, 2012 at the time. So that was the end for us, is having making sure that everything was there in its original file format. And then we, you know, we made sure that it was tagged and searchable for future, for future um, uh, recalls. Yeah, no, I'm all about that. My, my team would be rolling their eyes when they hear this because I say it all the time of what's a big win and then let's work backwards from that and, and develop the plan mm -hmm. there. I don't think you can really create a, a successful roadmap without knowing where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of just working backwards on, I, I think I've, I've been made fun of that. Like, oh, Lil's going to say begin with the end of my end. Yep. Fine. <laughs> so, but I've probably used that phrase before. So it must <laughs> That's awesome. Well, if you could yeah. kind of wave your magic wand across the, the industry, how would uh, how would you make them leverage the data better? Um, hmm. That's a really good question. I think I think it's just like maybe having, you know, flexible open data. Um, I think that would be one, I think. But I think we're always constantly concerned about, you know, uh, our data being overwritten or altered or edited. and you know, security is it's another component within our industry that's growing as well. If you recall back in, uh, um, back in, let's say, maybe 2013, when Target had a huge data breach, or mm -hmm. if you recall, it, I read in an article that that breach happened because it was a, it was through a mechanical, and the mechanical system was vulnerable, and that was the hackers way in and sort of infiltrated everything. Oh, wow. And ever since then, I, seen an increase of, especially in this industry of security and how can we reinforce this? You know, what, what is that minimal, um, you know, uh, you know, um, minimal security that we should be looking at. So I feel like that's something that it's not going away anytime soon. And especially with, you know, the GD, GDPR, you know, rules that came out a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. people are much more aware of 
sort of information that's being sold or not sold or shared. Um, and I'm starting to see that more within AAC. Hey, innovators. Over the last year hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry, I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place, and there are others who want to take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, during times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation for free at bridgingthegappod.com slash ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah, so th- that brings up kind of the, the flip side of, of data is, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. What do you think data responsibility really looks like for the industry? Um, I think I think it's just that. I think it's doing the due diligence and, and making sure you're vetting the right you know, technology within your industry, making sure you're, you're not leaving vulnerabilities you know, like this company I mentioned, you know, many years ago. Um, I think it's also, um, I think we also need to think about like, what data do we have? And I think we've also gone through this phase that I've heard, uh, let's get everything and anything in the system. It's, it's all data, it's, you know, let's get it in. I think we need to be more responsible in the sense of like, okay, what, what data do we really, do we want? Um, you know, do we need everything? Probably not. You know, what's the most important thing we're going to need five, 10 years down the road? What's important for the project? So I think asking yourself the question of like, well, what's important, what's not important, or what's this fluff of data? Um, I was talking to, um, you know, a friend of mine who uh, owns a artificial technology, um, and she talks a lot about, um, you know, how data can be used to kind of clean it up and organize it. Mm-hmm. Never really thought about that before I or never heard it in that perspective. I think this is where maybe this could be a good merger between data and AI to, you know, help complement each other. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, do you think that there's any kind of moral or, or ethical ramifications of collecting so much project data? Not necessarily on the, you know, no. collecting the, the personal data of like with GDPR and, you know, you have all their personal information, but just on the, the project data side of things? I'd probably say probably not. And I think I, I'm going to say no, but when I, you know, I now mentioned this Netflix documentary that we talked about, you know, there's sort of this other dark side about, you know, personal data. And when I watched this documentary about data and how data sort of this, um, you know, was sort of referred to as is the next oil, you know, it's like the oil of our future, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're extracting oil. So it got me thinking, like, how does that affect, you know, my industry? You know, does it affect? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say no, because we're not, you know, it's not something that, you know, we're not harvesting data, you know, to sell to, you know, to someone, right? Or, or here's a some project info you might be interested. Uh, we noticed you were using, you know. A Milwaukee drill tool. Now here's a Dewalt line. It's 
I don't think it's in that, you know, sense. You know, I know that when we talk about specific products, you know, we, we tend to kind of see that product show up in our social media. I keep constantly telling it that I want a million dollars and I don't see that. <laughs> Let but, me know if that works. I'll, I'll keep trying it too. <laughs> I occasionally try like, I want, I would like to find a million dollars. Um, <laughs> but there's just things that pops in my social media. It's like, I was just thinking or just having a conversation yeah. or happen to search maybe a gift for someone, let's say camping stuff. And suddenly I have this blue of like, from REI, like you may be interested in this particular tent. You may be interested in this ship. No, right. I'm not. It's not even for me. So I'd say in that sense, you know, the dark side of data on the personal side, it is kind of scary. I, I would probably say when it's in relation to the AAC, it's probably not. And I think the data that we're after is really the ability to give us, you know, that early on visibility to problems that we can't see. All problems are going to cost us a lot of money. Um, you know, there's a colleague that lives in um, in South America, and he once told me that a, a mistake of, of maybe of a half an inch centimeter off of a flooding cost them fifty thousand dollars. And I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that he missed the comment. You know, he, you know, in his eyes like, oh, you know, I don't know how I missed it. I had all the tech, all the parameters in the world, but it still cost me money at the end of the day, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I, so now this is, this becomes data for him as part of a checklist, like, you know, sort of it's, it's informing him what, you know, to look at those footing next time or to double check that work and it's informing him to create a, a new process. So it's not gonna cost him 50,000 down the road. It could, it could save him that amount of money. So I think in our world, you know, data is, is used for the good. And I think we're always wanting to, you know, in generally have this, you know, open consensus, like we want to share data, we want to be transparent, we want to, you know, have it inform us, you know, when our project is going to be delayed, or when is it on time, or, you know, are our payables on time, and so on. So mm-hmm. I think it's for the good in our industry. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't really thought this out. And I just popped into my head while you were talking. So this could be a very dangerous line here. But, uh, when you were talking about that, you know, we're, we're not collecting the data to say, hey, use this on a project. Maybe you should use this on the next project. Maybe think of digital twins and the potential oh. that digital twins has. I think for the good of being able to show where um, efficiencies might be gained on future projects by looking at past projects. Do, do you think that kind of data harvesting in that context, that the potential to kind of go down that path of, hey, you did use a uh, uh, Milwaukee tool on this, but maybe you should be using DeWalt mm-hmm. on the, the next project. Yeah. Do you think that that's, there's a potential there or is that just kind of often in left field? Yeah. So I, I will say this, you know, speaking of digital twin, the way that I understand digital twin, if anyone hears this, you know, please feel free to message me and and, and, you know, give me some additional information. But I know for a while, I think it was like a year, two years ago, digital twin was like a heavy conversation. You know, some people were like, fix this, no, fix that. Yeah. The way I understand digital twins, and I'm going to try to explain this in the most simplistic form that I know, is, you know, think of our bodies. It is in it, digital replication, replication of our body. And the way that I see it is, if I can have a digital version of myself, where I can, you know, go down the layers of my skin, muscle, and bones, and organs, 
And if I'm not feeling well, like, oh, you know, I have, let's say a headache, you know, uh, or maybe my eye is twitching, you know, I would love to go into my digital health. I'm like, why is my eye twitching? Like, where is that, you know, kind of drill down to the pain point. I'm like, oh, maybe drink more water. You know, that would solve the problem, right? With my headache. Um, I see that as as digital twin to be that in the, in the building concept. And I think, you know, where that data, I see that being really, you know, leveraged in the right way is, you know, maybe between two and four, this side of the building or this particular rooms are always constantly hot. Why don't we just have sort of a, an automation to roll down the shades, you know, maybe, you know, pump you know, additional AC in that area. Or if there's a, a, a pipe where there's a leak, you know, have that alert to facilities. Hey, there's a slow leak happening between, you know, wall X and, and wall Y. Like you may something, you may want to investigate that. Is that going to affect the floor above, the, the floor below? Like mm-hmm. that could be really great data to use on a building, especially for someone that's on the facility side that's managing that building. Say, so, okay, well, let me, let me go investigate that. Let me open up that 3D version of my building and let's see where I can have a, a good cut and, and look into that to the inside of the one see, you know, is it really leaking or is it is, is it missing, you know, what is it missing? Um, and that can really save someone sort of time and energy and and really prevent a, a, a huge hazard from happening. So so to me that's how I see the benefit of of having a digital twin of your building that can be informative and tell you, hey, something's wrong. And here's where you can get this information and drill down to that level. And here is some additional data from the construction of your building that you're able to retrieve, like the air unit, you know, what's the warranty on that? Who's the manufacturer? Did we do the maintenance? Has it been done? Okay, maybe we just need to change the filter or maybe the coils need to be cleaned. You know, so that's how I see digital twin really benefiting the data. Again, I'm not a digital twin expert, nor do I claim to be one. <laughs> but after so many conversations and kind of being able to attend some sessions, I know um, uh, Willow, I think his name is Ian, I believe. Uh, he, I mean, if you ever get a chance to hear sort of his presentation to digital twin, he is fantastic, really great presenter as well. But I love his, I love the way that he sort of dives into digital twins. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think that the potential there is, is really fascinating to me around yeah. digital twin yeah. of, of not only on the, the operations side of things, but then informing construction of, hey, you know, you are always putting it in this way, but really mm-hmm. if you tweak it and, you know, change it 10%, it creates more efficiencies and it would be better for the building. So this is a, a sales pitch then that you can give to owners of, Hey, we yeah. do it this way because we found cost savings. Up. I don't know. I, I think it's the potential there is, is pretty cool and fascinating. A lot of it goes Agreed. over my head, but <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting. That's, yeah, that's why I gave this disclaimer of like, I, you know, yeah, again, I'm not a, I'm not an expert, but uh, it's definitely fascinating to learn more. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you see as the end goal for construction in terms of the data collecting and exchange? Oh, what is the end goal? Um, I think I'm going to say I don't know. You know, because I feel like the beauty about this industry and in, in technology is ever evolving. It's always changing. Um, I think I think as long as you know we are resilient and adaptable, uh, which we know we are as a, a world, and especially after being hit with a pandemic, you know, last year 
and still ongoing. Um, I, I think as long as we have sort of this thought of like always stay curious, you know, always, you know, always, uh, you know, look into things. I think last year there was a shortage on 360 cameras. I think before COVID hit, and I, you know, said this a couple of times, I think no one imagined that, you know, that type of tech, 360 cameras and robotics were going to be something that we're going to fly off the shelf all, all of a sudden because right. there was a, a huge urgency to keep everyone safe on a drop site at a, at a great distance. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think if we always stay curious and always open to what's out there, I, I really can't say like, oh, this is the end solution. Just, you know, we, we're constantly evolving. Um, as an industry, I think the way we build buildings hasn't really changed much, right? We're, we're still using, you know, specific materials. Although it is exciting when I read about 3D printing or concrete, or I think I also read a, an article a few months back of someone building, um, you know, um, homes in a third world country out of plastic bottles and just recycling that and molding them a little bit different to build the wall. Like that to me is exciting way of like changing the way we build things. Yeah. Um, I think as the construction side, I think, I think as long as we always stay curious and always open to change, I think we're, we're going to, it's, you know, this industry has, you know, so much to grow and so much to change in the future. Yeah. I, I wish I could tell you what the end result is, but I, I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the, the state curious option. I think construction is really good at uh, figuring out how to solve a problem. So uh, mm -hmm. it's just coming up and, and getting consensus on what that problem is. Uh, and then construction, that's what they do best is, is go and solve things. Yeah, solve it, build and solve and, and learn, right? You know, yeah. oh, now, you know, I mean, even in our own DOI project, it's like, oh, well, next time I'll, I'll make sure to put an anchor on the wall versus just going willy nilly and just putting a nail. <laughs> but that's <laughs> nice. just my own DIY project because I'm impatient. Adapted learn. You know, measure try on the go and just some impatient, but yes. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, how do people get a hold of you or, or find out more information? Yeah, you know, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, you know, full name Lillian Marianis. Um, you know, you also find my contact information. So full name Lillian Marianis at gmail.com. Uh, so if you want to connect and, you know, let's be, let's be industry friends. Um, I'm always happy to connect, always happy to help anyone. So it's, again, it's given me so much and happy to give forward. That's awesome. Well, last question. What does innovation mean to you? Oh, um, I think I'm going to go back to what I said, always being curious. I think always thinking outside the box, always looking at problems from a different, from a different angle. Um, you know, I, I think, um, I think when I think of innovation, I think about so many things, the innovation that's currently changed today, like the way that we, we travel, you know, we, some, some of us choose in someone's home, which is, if you think about it and you say that a lot, oh, I'm renting someone's home for a weekend sounds really weird. <laughs> I'm definitely an introvert. I'm like, that would be really weird. However, having an app like Airbnb where I'm like, oh, I can look at your home, book it, sounds good. You know, have a good communication, how to get there. I think it's, that to me is innovation. Like we, we're changing, you know, how we travel and even the way that we, you know, uh, you know, um, get to destination at a, a and b like taxis you know that was um for me as a kid um i felt like taxis is such a luxury thing to take like hail a taxi get in like oh my god like 
I grew up in LA most of my life. We don't really take taxis in LA. We there's always a different means of transportation. Yeah. Um, but now you can just open your phone and call an Uber or Lyft and the car. Again, you're getting into a stranger's car. It's going to promise to take you to your next destination. So I mean, to me, to me, innovation is looking at things differently or looking at things that are in front of my face, um, like you know, transportation and and, and lodging, and 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 just. Think having a different way to look at it or to use it. So that's how I see innovation. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm a big believer in getting different perspectives on things. I think it yes. definitely fills out the, the blind spots that we all have without even knowing it. Yeah, uh-huh. agreed. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, thanks so much for joining the show. I enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, I am all for the common data environment. That is our path forward. The possibilities of being able to truly connect the field to the office are immense. Start with the end in mind and then work backwards on the process and systems that will get you to the big win. Second take, I liked when Lil talked about having a vision, a pilot team and a feedback loop. It is so important to think through what data you want to collect, what's important, and how you're going to leverage the data. Then develop your execution plan while getting feedback along the way to agilely adjust as you go. Final take. Lil said, innovation is about always being curious. Take time to look at things through different perspectives. When we crowdsource ideas and solutions, we end up getting a better result and fill in our blind spots. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.